Welcome back to the Genesis of Conception. I am your hostess, Bex David, and this is the space between the picket lines. This is a place where we talk about all things pro-life, but we come at it from the basis of real science, logic, and provable data. Now, in the last episode, we discussed the fall of Roe and the rise of abortion tourism. This week, we're going to look at the very important role of the Hippocratic Oath to the pro-life movement. Now, for those who may not know, the Hippocratic Oath is a vow that is taken by medical students at two separate times during their medical career. The first time is during their white coat ceremony at the beginning of their medical training, and the second time is at their graduation. So this is something that they have to say not once, but twice. It proclaims their commitment to medical ethics. For more details there, you can actually check in with thedoctorswayin.com. So today, we're going to discuss the origins of the Hippocratic Oath. We're going to look at updates throughout the years. We're going to check in on its current day use. And we're going to look at the very real moral conundrums outlaid within. I want to highlight why I believe that it is by its very nature pro-life. I know it is a lot of ground to cover, but I promise that the payoff is going to be worth it, especially given the very real probability that at some point, the life or death of either yourself or somebody who you love will be in the hands of a doctor who has had to swear this oath. So it's a good idea to be informed of what exactly they're swearing to. Now, to begin, it turns out there's actually two forms of the Hippocratic Oath, the classic, and, or sorry, the classical and the modern. Now, the most obvious difference between the two is that the classical version swears by the ancient Greek gods, and the modern version does not. And we're going to get into all of that a little bit later on. So now, for the origins. We know compliments of the Northeastern University Bouve College of Health Sciences, specifically their School of Nursing, that the Hippocratic Oath is, quote, one of the oldest and most widely known codes of ethics, unquote. Now, the original text is attributed to Hippocrates. If you don't know about him, he was a Greek physician who's commonly credited with beginning the practice of medicine as a rational science. Now, this it was big because back in the BCs when Hippocrates was alive, there was a lot of hype around mysticism. And when people were not doing well, it was generally seen as a sign that they had angered the gods and that they deserved whatever wrath befell them. But Hippocrates, he took a different approach, which we now call the holistic view of medicine and medication and all of that. And he effectively began the practice of whole person care. Now, as far as history can tell, the very first appearance of the Hippocratic Oath was in 400 BC. That means that doctors have been taking this oath for over 2,500 years, which means there's got to be a reason for that. It contained three maxims, the original version did. First, a pledge to practice medicine to the best of the individual's ability and judgment. Second, to defer to the expertise of trained surgeons where necessary. And third, the promise of patient confidentiality. Now, oddball point here. Most people who think of the Hippocratic Oath think automatically of the phrase, do no harm. But weirdly enough, that was not actually found in the original oath. Instead, there was a combination of three separate phrases that basically boiled down to the same basic idea. They were to abstain from whatever is deleterious and mischievous, 
to give no deadly medicine to anyone if asked, and to abstain from every voluntary act of mischief and corruption. It is thought that do no harm actually came from another of Hippocrates' medical writings, and those writings said the physician must have two special objects in view with regard to disease, namely to do good or to do no harm. Now, all of that together translated into the following oath, which was sworn by all ancient physicians post-Hippocrates. And we know about this oath, compliments of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons Incorporated. Now, warning in advance, I'm going to read you the whole, or I'm going to recite for you the whole thing. And it is going to be a tad lengthy, but it is really important to know exactly what it said. And you'll see why as we get further into the episode. So here goes the original Hippocratic Oath. Quote, I swear by Apollo the physician, and I'm probably going to butcher this name, so bear with me, Asculapius the surgeon, likewise Hygia and Panacea, and call all of the gods and goddesses to witness that I will observe and keep this underwritten oath to the utmost of my power and judgment. I will revere my master who taught me the art. Equally with my parents, I will allow him things necessary for his support, and I will consider his sons as my brothers. I will teach them my art without reward or agreement, and I will impart all my acquirement, instructions, and whatever I know to my master's children as to my own. And likewise, to all my pupils who will st- who shall st- who shall bind and tie themselves by a professional oath, but to none else. With regard to healing the sick, I will devise and order for them the best diet according to my judgment and means, and I will take care that they suffer no hurt or damage. Nor shall any man's entreaty prevail upon me to administer poison to anyone. Neither will I counsel any man to do so. Moreover, I will give no sort of medicine to any pregnant woman with a view to destroy the child. Abortion 101, y'all. Further, I will comport myself and use my knowledge in a godly manner. I will not cut for the stone, but will commit that affair entirely to the surgeons. Whatsoever house I may enter... My visit shall be for the convenience and advantage of the patient. I will willingly refrain from doing any injury or wrong from falsehood and in an especial manner from acts of an amorous nature. Uh, For those who don't know what that means, that's saying I won't sleep with my patients. Whatsoever may be the rank of those who it may be my duty to to cure, whether mistress or servant, bond or free." Whatever, in the course of my practice, I may see or hear, even when not invited, whatever I may happen to obtain knowledge of, if it be not proper to repeat it, I will keep it sacred and secret within my own breast. And if I faithfully observe this oath, may I thrive and prosper in my fortune and profession, and live in the estimation of of, of posterity, or on breach thereof, may the reverse be my fate. Now, I know that's a whole lot of words, and maybe you're not entirely sure what it all meant. The short version of that oath is to heal the sick in a godly manner, to do no harm to any patient, including 
pregnant women and the children within their wombs, and to keep patient confidentiality no matter what. Now, this was such a serious contract that doctors would swear awful fates on themselves if they broke it. Now, logic would dictate that in the thousands of years since doctors began taking this oath, that the wording probably got tweaked a bit, especially considering that this had to be translated into many languages, and not all societies hold the same values. So, I did some research, and as it turns out, there are four big years of importance. 1500, 1700, 1948, and 1964. Now, we can thank the National Library of Medicine, specifically the branch of biotechnology information, for tracking the data down. Beginning with 1500, this was when the Germans got a hold of the Hippocratic Oath, compliments of a medical school, which was the University of Wittenberg, and they promptly incorporated the taking of the oath for all graduating medical students. The irony there is quite strong. Then flashing forward to 1700, the oath got translated to English and it spread through Western medical schools where it was regularly incorporated into convocations. Then comes 1948, and the oath was officially adopted by the World Medical Association, or WMA, as part of the Declaration of Geneva. And this, of course, was a direct response to the grotesque and the inhumane treatment of those who perished in the Holocaust. So they saw that, and they said, never again. Now, finally, 1964 rolls around. Enter a man by the name of Louis Lasagna, and no, I'm not kidding, that was his actual real last name. He was the dean of the Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston, Massachusetts. He rewrote certain portions of the, certain portions of the oath with the concept being that the new version was more useful to a modern world with modern medical advances and a distinct lack of overall belief in the Greek gods of old. Now, just logically, because I actually, I'm going to tell you what the new oath is here in a minute, but I want to highlight that when I compared the original oath to the lasagna version, it really seems as though the new version was looking more to protect the doctors than the patients. So just food for thought, because that is really going to matter later. Now, this leads us to the modern oath that all doctors must swear by before they begin training and once they complete it. It comes directly from, from the McCullough Institute for Pre-Medical Scholars. Again, it's lengthy, but it is very important to understand exactly what is outlaid within. Quote, I swear to fulfill to the best of my ability and judgment this covenant. I will respect the hard-won scientific gains of those physicians in whose steps I walk and gladly share such knowledge as is mine with those who are to follow. I will apply for the benefit of the sick all measures that are required, avoiding those twin traps of overtreatment and therapeutic nihilism. I will remember that there is art to medicine as well as science, and that warmth, sympathy, and understanding may outweigh the surgeon's knife or the chemist's drug. I will not be ashamed to say, I know not, nor will I fail to call in my colleagues when the skills of another are needed for a patient's recovery. I will respect the privacy of my patients, for their problems are not disclosed to me that the world may know. Most especially, I must tread with care in matters of life and death. If it is given me to save a life, 
all thanks. But it may also be within my power to take a life. This awesome responsibility must be faced with great humbleness and awareness of my own frailty. Above all, I must not play at God. I will remember that I do not treat a fever chart or a cancerous, cancerous growth, but a sick human being whose illness may affect the person's family and their economic stability. My responsibility includes these related problems if I am to care adequately for the sick. I will prevent disease whenever I can, for prevention is preferable to cure. I will remember that I remain a member of society with special obligations to all my fellow human beings, though sound of mind and body, as well as the infirm. If I do not violate this oath, may I enjoy life and art, respected while I live and remembered with affection thereafter. May I always act so as to preserve the finest traditions of my calling, and may I long experience the joy of healing those who seek my help, unquote. Now, I know there was a lot of stuff covered there, so let me break down some very important things to highlight here, which the original text had, but the new one doesn't. First, swearing to play God Sorry, swearing to not play God, the inverse. Swearing to not play God versus swearing by the gods. Second, no specific prohibition of abortion. Third, no promise to do no harm. And fourth, no promise to never give a lethal medicine. Now, naturally, and all of those things are things that you find in the, the things that were removed from the old one whenever the new one was created. So naturally, Given these amendments, there then becomes the question of its modern-day relevance. Now, there are a variety of arguments against the Hippocratic Oath in the current day, and they include, but are not necessarily limited to, so I just went ahead and picked the top three that I've heard repeatedly. First, it's a meaningless relic of the distant past. Second, it does not address modern medical realities such as abortion or euthanasia. And if you don't know, euthanasia, that's when a doctor intentionally ends a patient's life, either at their own request or at the request of the person in charge of their medical care. And third, that the Hippocratic Oath does not offer guidance in the face of modern ethical dilemmas. Now, honestly, I get it. It's tricky. As you may have noticed when listening, the original oath, while of course it had the issue of swearing to a number of fake gods, it was on the right path. And it was very clear that doctors had then and still have in the current day a specific duty to do everything possible to make sick people better. It's pretty cut and dry. Then, the Geneva Convention version highlighted the fact that unpersoning a person for the sake of treating them in inhumane ways is a crime against humanity. I 100% agree with that. But then, along comes Mr. Lasagna and the quote-unquote modern version with very ambiguous wording. Now, by their very nature, ambiguous things are not as useful, especially to the medical world, as cut-and-dry rules. I will you say as an amendum here that having an oath to try not to hurt people is far better than not having any kind of an oath at all. But when you discard the moral fiber of an oath, the oath has a tendency to become some version of useless. Now, as a fascinating and I would argue also quite telling segment 
to the debate of the oath's modern relevance is that ancient physicians abhorred the idea of intentionally killing a medical patient, and they even highlighted that they shouldn't kill the ones in the womb either. And they believed that you shouldn't kill a patient for any reason. Whereas modern physicians seem to be struggling with whether or not loopholes can be found. So allow me to explain why I find that dichotomy to be ridiculous. See, the ancient Greeks, they were the ones who told their warriors to come back with their shields or on them. It is also very well known that the Greeks were huge on pitting people against one another to fight to the death for the entertainment of the masses. They invented that concept. Even so, those same people recognized the inherent rightness of treating the sick until they either died naturally or they got better to do no harm when it came to a patient's safety. Yet here we are over 2,000 years later and we find ourselves trying to determine if it is morally acceptable to slaughter and poison and dismember children in the womb either for the sake of convenience or due to non-ideal circumstances surrounding their conception. Simultaneously, for those who are outside of the womb and they face either difficult or life-threatening medical conditions, we keep asking as a society when we're allowed to ethically kill these people or conversely to just stand by and let them kill themselves. Now, we title it euthanasia so that it sounds prettier, but ugly things dressed up pretty are still ugly. It seems to me that if we got back to the basics of science and medicine, we would be a lot less confused. So, as a normal human, allow me to offer my counterpoints. First, I am not a doctor, but I have faced my share of medical conundrums, including quite literally almost dying a year ago. I've also faced the death of many loved ones, including my best friend slash younger brother. I am aware that facing death is never easy. I'm also painfully aware of the reality of difficult medical choices, where a decision feels impossible, or maybe you feel stuck between two equally awful outcomes. That is real, and it happens, and it's very, very painful. Now, when faced with difficult or horrendous medical decisions, using intentional death as the answer should not even be part of the equation. If a person dies along the way of you trying to help them get better, that's understandable. But saying, oh, you know what, we'll just kill them and that'll solve the problem. That is not okay. Now, as a Christian, I also firmly believe in the inherent right to life that all humans have by virtue of being part of the human species. We have this inherent right because it was given to us by our creator. Our founding fathers then recognized that inherent right and they enshrined it into the documents that founded our country. Going one step further, if you look at the principles of medical ethics that's provided by the American Medical Association, their final principle is direct quote here, a physician shall support access to medical care for all people, unquote. AKA, the only way to get around that rule is to unperson the person, which is a mistake and it is morally reprehensible, exactly the way that the entire world collectively agreed after the Holocaust. Additionally, if you look at Lasagna's version of the Hippocratic Oath, which is by far the most ambiguous, there's a section that specifically says, direct quote, I must not play at God, while talking about those who live and those who die. Finally, 
I cannot overstate the fact that the Geneva Convention version was literally adopted because the Germans made the dire mistake of picking a portion of the population to dehumanize and blame things on, and then they brutally and systematically legally murdered between 7 and 10 million people. Now, the world collectively recognizes this for the atrocity that it was. The Geneva Convention Hippocratic Oath was adopted as a moral safeguard against repeating that type of behavior in the future, which is exactly what we've done with the abortion holocaust. And for reference on the correlation, go ahead and listen to my holocaust episode after this. Now, friendly reminder here for you. The people who committed war crimes as part of the Holocaust were trained doctors and physicians and nurses who had taken this oath, and they simply chose to turn their humanity off so that their conscience would not bother them. Sound familiar? My simple argument to you, not as a doctor, but as a human being with the ability to access my faculties of reason— is that the Hippocratic Oath must be inherently pro-life to function as a moral metric for those whose entire job is supposed to be saving life whenever and wherever possible. Doctors lose their license when they intentionally let someone die who could have been saved. It does not matter what their reason was. All that matters is that they broke their sacred oath, which they could not become a doctor without taking. Not even once, but twice. The preborn child absolutely falls within the category of being a human life worth saving. And the only way to argue that is by unhumaning them, which we have gone over time and time again, is a moral outrage. And the original Hippocratic Oath pointed that out. It is insane to me that with all of the modern medical technology that we have access to, which the ancient Greeks didn't, by the way, that we'd still even be having this debate. Our technology has got two incredible capabilities, and I know because I've seen both of them firsthand. Capability number one, irrefutable proof that children within the womb are much, are very much both human and alive. If you want proof of that, Attend a sonogram. Go be with a woman whenever she gets to hear her child's heartbeat for the first time. Whenever she feels her child kicking for the first time. All of those little movements that are happening as the child is learning how to deal with having limbs and such like. Be part of that experience with that woman and then you come back and tell me that that's not a human being in the womb. And number two, the second incredible capability is the capability to to save the life of a child born earlier than expected. The word we use for this is the point of viability. And it is worth mentioning that viability is a moving metric and it is getting closer and closer to the point of conception. It is very clear, no matter which version of the oath you're referring to, that the concept is to save and preserve human life and to cherish and revere the science slash advancements which allow us to do so. So why then do we keep fighting so hard to exclude the most vulnerable amongst our population from those same very basic things? Imagine what would be possible if we took that same energy and we channeled it into giving them a fighting chance, giving the preborn the most basic of human rights, that of life. Imagine what would be possible in our world if we took all this energy we were channeling into kill the kids and instead channeled it into let's make it possible for them to have an incredible life and have all of the same access to things that we all want for ourselves and the ones that we love. Now, 
I know I also mentioned at the beginning of the episode that abortionists should not, in my humble opinion, be counted as doctors. And I know that that's a very contentious take, so let me explain why. I'm aware that the current and most widely used modern Hippocratic Oath does not have the same explicit ban on abortion that its predecessors did. However, it is well known that a doctor's job is to do everything possible to save life rather than intentionally take it. And again, doctors who are discovered to intentionally take lives lose their license and their credibility because of it. Conversely, when a preborn child survives an abortion, the abortionist's job is to do whatever is necessary to ensure that the child does not survive. And I have an entire episode about that. It's called Being Born Alive and Left to Die. I highly encourage you to take a look or listen, I guess. Inherent in the title abortionist is the responsibility to make sure that helpless infants go from being alive to being dead. Otherwise, they've done their job wrong. Because again, you have zero need for an abortion unless you have a child in your womb who is actively growing and will be born in nine months or less. By its very nature, abortions and the doctors who provide them are fundamentally at odds with the basic precepts of the Hippocratic Oath, regardless of the version you might be looking at and regardless of whether or not that, that specific version has the phrase, don't kill kids in the mixture. Or more specifically, don't kill preborn children. Now, one final note, speaking specifically to those in the medical profession. I will be the first to say that the mother may face some sort of very real and difficult medical issues during the pregnancy. I get it. Believe me, I understand. In my own family, there have been two very recent pregnancies which involved difficult choices. But if your first response as a medical professional is to say, well, let's just kill the less developed human who is more vulnerable to make things easier and less stressful on our other patient, I would highly encourage you to reevaluate why you took the Hippocratic Oath in the first place. Beyond that, why do you care about your patients at all? What is your driving force? Because if you truly want to help every patient who comes your way and to do whatever is necessary to preserve their life to the best of your capabilities, then you should rightfully count preborn children in the mix and give them the same deference. Finally, a quick reminder that there is a huge difference between the following scenarios. Scenario number one. There's a mom, and she's pregnant with a child, and something goes medically wrong, and the doctor is doing everything possible to help both mom and baby, and baby ends up dying in the process. That's scenario number one. Scenario number two is whenever the doctor says, hey, mom, you're pregnant, and we have to do whatever the medical thing is to fix you, and the easiest way for that to occur is if you have the abortion, and then we just focus solely on you. The first one is a tragedy, but sometimes it happens. And the second one, that is a direct violation of the Hippocratic Oath, as I hope I've proven to you here today. Because again, in order for a child in the womb to be killed, he or she must first be living by basic logical necessity. And now, switching gears, it is time for our book recommendation of the week. This one is called Gifted Hands. It's by a man named Ben Carson. And I like this one because it is more because it's from the point of view of a neurosurgeon. That means that Ben Carson gives firsthand 
eyewitness accounts of surgeries performed on children while they were still in the womb. They were patients just like their moms were. This book simultaneously helps to prove the humanity of preborn children and also shows that a difficult medical condition or situation does not have to equal a death sentence for either mom or baby. Again, the book's called Gifted Hands. It's by Ben Carson, and you can find it in all of the usual places. And now, an offer for you. If you'd like to reach out to me personally for help or with questions or comments or concerns or whatever may have you, I'm on Facebook as Bex David, that's B-E-X like X-Ray, and David like the Biblical King. And I'm on everything else as proudly pro-life Gen Z woman, just all put together as one big word. I am here for you. Whatever it is that you have questions on, whatever it is that you have concerns on, you know, maybe you vehemently disagree with me and you, you want to get in contact with me and tell me how terrible of a human I am. That's okay. I'm here to open up that dialogue of communication and really have important conversations about literal life and death from the, from the perspective of one person who cares to another person who cares. Additionally, if you like this podcast, don't forget to share it with someone else who you think might benefit from it. And of course, subscribe to uh, the podcast and download the episodes. It actually really does help. And now, next time, we're going to be discussing unusual types of pregnancies and the difference that they make. But between now and then, I challenge you to live as though you are loved and cherished and precious simply because you are alive and our Savior did not create you by accident. Live as though your life has meaning and purpose. And I promise you that it will revolutionize your world in the best way possible. Until next time, let's continue to be pioneers in the space between the picket lines together. Thank you for tuning in. God bless, and I'll see you next time around.